slipping away i am here in the void as always with daniel how's it going daniel it's going great i'm so in glad the void. well i mean that's where we live that in the void. uh what are we here to do we're we're here to talk about nine inch nails this is a nine inch nails podcast where we take a look at uh well nine inch nails and trent Reznor because if you don't know as credited on the album we're about to speak about nine inch nails is trent Reznor. Uh, where we take a song or an album that we choose at random every week and we listen to it, we dive into it, we explore it, we let it color our week uh, as we're listening. And last week, uh, I pulled a fast one on you because normally you pick from random. You always choose wrong. We go to random.org. It's true. Sponsor the podcast. Just never get it right. To, to choose a song, but you try to choose two, but then it was all ruse in the I, end I because did, yeah. what instead I we felt were pretty doing, stupid. <laughs> as you should, is actually pretty hate machine because it's turning 20 sorry 30 years old this year 30, wow, 30. 1989 you just want to say 20 because it feels like it we're not that, that old. old yeah exactly we're not that old you see the 80 in the thing and you're like 20s that's 20 years old yeah because anything with 1980 means that we're still living in the glory days of the of the aughts but it's almost over no you can't All the way back in October, October 20th, 1989. So uh, this was the first official release from Nine Inch Nails. The Purest Feeling demos had come out before, um, but not not in a commercial release. They've actually never been released. Um, so the kind of the process was that Trent had written these songs while he was working at uh, Right Track Records in Cleveland. He was doing like handyman stuff, kind of janitorial stuff, but he was also... Um, in his free time, the studio manager let him use the equipment when nobody was, you know, when there's free studio time, like nobody's actually crazy. using it. It's pretty neat. I mean, I wonder if he like undercut his pay for doing all the other stuff to use it. Cause that's a lot of equipment that you're just, I don't, I don't know. Other people pay for their services, but if you work there and you're doing gross stuff that nobody else wants to do, right. why not? Those are the perks. It's called the perks of working somewhere. Yes, it's true. So he made this demo called the purest feeling it was about seven or eight tracks. Um, most of them end up, on Pretty Hate Machine, but they've been retooled. Um, so he wrote all those during 1987, 1988, roughly when he was living with Chris Renna, who is a longtime drummer of the band from 88 to 97, in their apartment outside of Cleveland. And the way he tells it, it sounds like it was, and it, and it was fast, but he makes it sound like it was super easy. You know, he's like, I just went to my room, I wrote these songs, I made a tape, uh, and then the... That took about six months in 88 to, to write them all and put the tape together. I shopped it around to some labels. That was towards the end of 88. And then, you know, three or four months later, I was recording Pretty Hate Machine. And then uh, a couple months after that, we put a band together to tour live. And touring starts in January. And then he just goes for three years after that. Uh, we'll talk about the tour series, Pretty Hate Machine tour series a little bit later. But uh, 
that's a lot. That's a lot for for you know a, a nobody. But the thing is, he wasn't really a nobody. He was part of some kind of new wave esque new romantic bands uh, in in and around Cleveland at the time. So it wasn't like he had never touched an instrument before and just did this. That would be kind of extreme, right? Yeah, his past is definitely something. I mean, we we've only done one episode from this album before, so we've right. never really talked about. His, the furries, squirrels, or whatever bands he uh, was the in. Exotic Birds. The Exotic uh, Birds. Slam Bamboo. Slam Bamboo. <laughs> you know, I like we've talked about them as like figments, and I'm sure we'll get into it some other time. You've shown me like video clips and stuff like that. Yeah, well, the the purest feeling, I like the whole demo set. I think we'll do as like a supplemental yeah. little piece because you, uh, it's not available on Spotify anywhere. And right. Th- there was a bootleg made uh, that Hawk Records put out in '94. It's really rough. It's just like they took. <laughs> the cover of broken and just superimposed some photos of Trent Reznor on it, but it was not officially, it's never officially been released. Right. Um, so, so, but I think we, it's, it's worth listening to and you can find it on YouTube if you're interested. Sure. Um, but the actual very first piece of Nine Inch Nails official uh, music that we got was in September, 20, September 27, 1989. So a month before wow. um, Pretty Hate came out, it was this, the single, which was um, down in it. And that was actually the first song he ever wrote. For the the band, that's weird. Yeah, so down into camp comes out September 27, nineteen eighty nine, and that's Halo One. So everybody knows at this point, very familiar with the yeah, Halo talked about numbering the system. Before, yeah. So, funnily enough, even the Pretty Hate Machine is the first album of Nine Inch Nails. It's actually Halo Two, which I thought was a little Amazing. bit of a fun fact. Uh, and then we'll get to Halo. I don't know, three thousand and six before the Fragile even comes out, which doesn't. I don't even what. No, it's, that's. It's, I know. It's too much. <laughs> it's too much. Uh, so the like I said, the album is mostly reworks of the purest feeling demos that he shopped out to record labels and that TVT Records, uh, Television Tune Records out of New Yikes. York City. So they were actually known for like a novelty uh, cover songs, I think, of, of TV themes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, uh, Steve Gottlieb, who was the head of wanted to branch out. And I think I know that name. Yeah. He okay. So TVT Records, Television Tune Records. Right. Never forget. They ended up being gigantic and producing like really popular hip hop albums and all this mm. stuff after Trent Reznor had left because he was only there with them for the first, for the first album. Year. He kind of worked on on uh, Broken under that label too, but it was in secret because he was trying to get out of the contract so badly. So he gave Steve Gottlieb the purest feeling demos and then he went to, you know, they're like, okay, cool. We're, we'll give you a contract here. Go make Pretty Hate Machine. So he... Worked with a, a couple different engineers. Um, I mean, he tracked all this stuff himself. Like, I can't stress that enough. This guy played every single piece of music. Um, the rig that he was using was a Mini Moog, uh, PPG 2.3, and an Oberheim expander. Those are all three different synths. Anyway, he said that he's always used Moog synthesizers for his whole life, and that was actually what kind of inspired him to make music in the first place. He Sweet. got a, a, a Moog um, Voyager, I think, when he was like 16 or 17, and he said that it was it does what an instrument does it translates your emotions into something that someone might else might experience and relate to as well which is really beautiful and getting that one piece of equipment made him want to be a musician he thought he was going to be an engineer like a, a tech technical engineer making synthesizers maybe but being able to play that moog um really changed his whole thing so he made it with those three synths using a mac plus and running performer which is now digital performer it's actually still a music software that's around today wow. uh but just him just him at Ray Track Studios. And then uh, then that was to make all the demos. So when he went back after getting the money from TVT to make Pretty Hate Machine, he recorded in a couple different places. So he, Right Track, obviously, was where all the stems came from, all the original recordings. Uh, Blackwing in London, Unique in New York, uh, 
in Synchro Sound in Boston as well as Roundhouse in London because he spent about a month in London working with a couple of different producers including Flood who's like a legendary producer who's worked with New Order, Depeche Mode, uh, U2, Nick Cave, uh, John Fryer, Al Jorgensen uh, who's a ministry frontman and mm-hmm. obviously an industrial pioneer. Um, Keith LeBlanc, Adrian Sherwood, and Adrian Sherwood, who's also a huge industrial music fixture. So um, I think he was, all these people are kind of related to the wax tracks, like the whole movement back in the day. So, uh, and a lot of people that he really admired and was like really ecstatic to work with. And, you know, to be like a kid, just sure. trying to do this thing after coming out of these bands that you just don't quite fit in. Uh, Chris Venna, Venna played in Exotic Birds with him, so I'm sure it was nice to have him along to help him do the live stuff. But yeah. but he made it all himself. And famously, Steve Gottlieb, when he heard Pretty Hate Machine, uh, was really pissed because the, the purest feeling is pretty similar. There's the three, two or three songs that aren't actually on Pretty Hate Machine, but... Um, Big ones are still there, and it, they're a lot dancier. Um, mm. And he thought he was going to get more of a Depeche Mode right. type of band. So when he brought a when Trent, type of yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, when when Trent brought in Pretty Hate Machine, he was like, "You ruined this record. This is an abortion." Whoa! <laughs> I was like, um, "Okay, well, fuck you, and yeah. uh, I'm out." So he didn't make music for a while after this. But that's wow. not that's not what we're talking about today. No, no, we're talking about Pretty Hate Machine. And um, I want to do my my official podcast apology right now that I do for every episode. My obligatory, I'm sorry that I don't listen to electronic music. So whenever we talk about it, I try to just nod and smile, <laughs> but I will say dumb stuff. So consider this my apology for this episode. Well, that's that's the whole brought stick, to you right? by Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> You haven't really listened to Nine Inch Nails, and I've been listening to Nine Inch Nails for a long time. But we've listened to 53 episodes now, that's and it's true. just like. It's so out there and it's fun because like some of the songs I do know and sure. sin was one. I mean, we've done sin before we did it. We watched the music video too, which was hilarious. And you know, I'm coming at it in a very irreverent way, but then he knocks you for a loop when you're like, some of it is, is quite dated. This is really dated, but uh, we'll get into it. It's really good. But then you have stuff like last week when, you know, the day the world went away and you're just like, this is incredible art. But I think this this album is full of bangers and um, something Trent Reznor said uh, a couple of years after the album came out was, you know, I've always loved electronic music, but it, it's I think that you don't get a lot of listens out of something from like Front 242, who's like a hard house industrial kind of band where you, it's just like the same thing over and over again. Right. Like there's not a whole lot of value into listening to it more than once where I, with Pretty Hate Machine, he thinks, and I agree that you can get something different out of it every time. And like the more I listen to it, even though I've heard this album quite a few times before, uh, it, it just listening to it this last week or so has been really nice and enriching for me, even somebody who's such a big fan to really listen to it so many times because I do feel like better about it every single time. And you get a little more, you notice a little bit more here and there. Sure. Um, I came to nine inch nails in the very early 2000s, I'd say probably like 2001. So after the fragile came out, but in that kind of uh, hiatus period before with teeth had come out. And uh, that was the first thing that I clung to was, was the fragile. I know the downward spirals, everybody's favorite albums. We talked about a million times, but, uh, when I got Pretty Hate Machine the first time, I thought it was comical because it, it just, I mean, some of this stuff is kind of cheesy, right? Oh, like It starts off right away. It's like, <laughs> the, like, the, the lyrics on the face of them are, are something that is very melodramatic and like a little over the top. But uh, the more you listen to it and realize that this album came out in 1989 and like the things that he was doing, which he wouldn't say is groundbreaking. And I agree, like he admitted to himself that, you know, 
down in it is, uh, or sorry, Sin is just the skinny puppy song, Dig It. He basically just stole it. But what he did differently was the lyrics. So let's talk about the songs a little bit one by one. Yeah. And we won't, won't want to go too deep in it. Obviously, we've already done Sin and we're going to cover all of these songs. But uh, I think it's worth talking to about because we're celebrating the album, Tano. Well, and years. you know, as some for somebody who doesn't know anything about Nine Inch Nails, this is probably the turning point for me. Like this was, this is a band I don't know, don't know anything about. Never really cared about, just know him as like a fixture on MTV growing up. He's just like the alternative, but I always lumped him in with the Slipknots and mud veins and just the, the, the new metal. The, the shock rocker yeah. kind of, yeah. Exactly. I just never really thought twice about it, but he's got that pop side where you're like, I definitely know these songs. Everybody knows closer. I know a couple of these songs yeah. as well, but just like hearing the whole package together, you want to convert somebody. This fucking shit is awesome. <laughs> it's so good. It's yeah. just, it's wild. I mean, head like a whole. I mean, if we just start there, it's just, it's so cool to go uh, from the day the world went away with so much space and so quiet and brooding and sad about his grandma, maybe to go from like that to like a dance track immediately is very hard to do. And at first I was like laughing and I was like, this is going to be a riot. All of this crap about like, you know, it's the first record. I was like, this is going to suck. This is just not going to be that good. Right. Holy shit. It not only the moment that he started singing, you know, bow down to the ones you serve Mm going to get what you deserve. I was like, Damn, this is this song. That's what this song is. He's the one that did this song. It's so good. It's just yeah. so good. And it's so confrontational right off the bat. Like every parent is going to hate this. Cause who do you serve? Right. God? Satan? Money? Mm-hmm. Tom Brahan Brahan from Pitchfork did a review of the reissue in twenty ten when it came out. And uh he said that he was visiting his brother. Uh, in an institution and like he wanted him to bring pretty hate machine with him because right. it was his favorite album and his dad like immediately threw it out of the car because he's like what bow down before what this is satanism exactly. it's like no it's about money yeah. it's and, about anything you yeah. want it to be and the music i don't know it's so hard to ex- describe and i don't have a good again see my apology before i don't know how <laughs> electronic music can like feel that way especially because i fucking hate the 80s aesthetic mm-hmm. but there's like this darkness about all the tones on here like everything feels so minor right. until it doesn't weird as that might be it's like a minor major where it sounds dark but it's light it gets to those like really high pitches but it's still like foreboding and the whole record is like just sits in it and to me it just feels like an indictment on the 80s just kind of like all of this happy pop music i'm going to use some of those tones and those sounds but like put it down under the earth in with the devil and like, we'll see what comes of it. And like, this song is so great because there are moments where you're like, I'm in a, I'm going to say this a lot today, but a Janet Jackson music video. Right, sure. But then it's just like that chorus. You're like, this, this is a timeless piece of music right here. I didn't even know head in a hole. I didn't even know that was the name of the song. <laughs> it's unreal. It's just so, so great. Yeah. It's, I think this is, an immediate introduction into what who he is as a person and like where he is musically and going to go from here because I think that there's a direct line between had like a whole terrible lie and closer which is arguably oh, yeah. his biggest most successful song of all time uh, I mean hurt you could throw in there for a different reason but sure um, and it's because it's that balance of like this is a pop song but then somebody threw these enormous fucked up crunchy synthesizers on it that blah, 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 blah. like so that's definitely like a dance industrial sound yeah and then you have the aboriginal chanting which he kind of built the song around a little bit in the background which like you can you almost don't notice it well he's also sampling prince is on here like it's like 
that's some cool shit. That's some crazy stuff. He was just, he taught himself engineering to do this, like at right track, yeah, he taught yeah, himself yeah. how to, and it, it's just wild how he figured out how that's to blend wild. all that kind of stuff together. Like, that is he just cool. did it all himself. It's very interesting. So yeah, I had like a hold is obviously a, a very big song and we get our first wow from Trent, which is, is beautiful. We've, and it, we talk about his voice a lot and I got to say there are moments on this record where I think he sounds divine. He sounds like oh, an yeah. angel. It sounds perfect. And he, I think he's got the perfect voice. I think his voice is amazing. And anybody who even says not as you've sort of in, alluded to people saying, and even though you love it, you can see what they, they mean. I think that comes down to a, a lot of, you know, just, preferences and taste but i think like the style of this music i think he gets a pass because he made it up he just yeah. did it himself and it's his voice is the style and that is always a win there are many imitators of him yeah i think that his voice i mean i've said it before but um i always thought when i was younger that he built his music around his voice like he knew exactly what it was going to sound when he was had the whole song in his head because I think you take Trent Reznor and you put him in a different band and he sounds like garbage. Sure. Like, and vice versa, you, you take his voice and you, you put another band's music underneath and it doesn't just like work, right? Like you, it, he has a, a, a scope of exactly all the pieces, how they're supposed to work instrumental wise, uh, as well as his, his voice and what he's saying in the songs. And I, I don't think he does have a classically good voice, but it's just like this perfect mix of something that industrial never had at the right. time uh, of vulnerable and angry and like when you have ministry and skinny puppy like screaming through megaphones and just like doing weird spoken word stuff and like that's the standard right right and, and no wonder he had a hard time finding people to make music with because like i don't want to do that i want to i want to make dance music but angry dance music yes. why does no one want to make why angry does nobody want an angry dance and i'm not talking about slam dancing <laughs> punk right. i'm talking about like this yeah very different new thing mm -hmm. it's almost exactly what the shit was supposed to be out of the punk scene, Joy Division, that slight movement in Manchester that took us to, you know, rave culture and shit. It seems like at some point, instead of like doubling down on the electronic hard, whatever shit, somebody would have done this, taken the electronic elements that were kind of becoming popular and then also screaming. Ministry was always, they like they're the, the granddaddy of the 80s sure. industrial movement. But even I don't think of them like that. The songs I've heard have Well, they changed so much. Really so like um, yeah. right before this album came out, Land of Rape and Honey came out in 88 um, from Ministry. Excuse and, me? Yeah, exactly. And that was, Chris Renna even said that was definitely something they were listening to when they were trying to, to kind of put the stuff together and figure out how they were going to play live and, and that kind of stuff. And, and it is very similar. Uh, it's like the most listenable Ministry album. And it's funny, their, their album before that, um, they were like a straight up new wave band. Like yeah, they, yeah, you could yeah. tell the difference between See, and I think that's and, and uh, Depeche Mode. Okay. So the, and, and Turner said about this album too, that it's the ultimate alternative album, because if you want Depeche Mode, you can find that in here. Mm -hmm. If you want something harder that you can mosh to, you can find that in here. Like you could yeah, stage dive or you can just chill in the back and like appreciate it. And I don't think anyone was interested in doing that uh, because that once they call him a sellout and a pioneer, like they'll say that he's not sticking to industry and he'll tell you, I never wanted to be an industrial artist. Sure. Um, like you say, it's unfair to compare him to ministry because <laughs> the parallels are striking. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's literally the same story. He went to a revolting cock show, which was Al Jorgensen's other band from ministry with uh, Chris Venna right before they started working on this album. And he was like, that guy's my fucking idol. You know, like I want to sound like that, but then he didn't, 
instead of screaming about the same industrial tropes of like, life is fucking miserable, nothing's worth anything, nihilism, ah, buzzsaw sounds. Yes. He was like, I'm a sad boy. Yeah. I would like to write about being a sad boy. Um, to, to quote the man himself, the man being Trent Reznor, um, he said in an interview with, with uh, Moog, actually they had like a little oh, thing because I'm listening to it's like, I was terrified to find out if I suck. First three songs are such bangers to me. Um, oh yeah! Uh, the only thing I have for "Terrible Lie" is literally the word "dope," and I've listened <laughs> to it probably ten, you know five or six times this week. Mm-hmm. I've never once added another note except for "dope," and I thought that, that that gets it. Yeah, I really enjoy "Terrible Lie." I think this is the probably the second uh, favorite song on this this album. I think, like I said, that there you can't have closer without this song. And yeah, I think it's really telling. It's just such a great combination of discordant synths during the chorus and his screaming over it just like that that anger that people were looking for in the industrial movement like when you hear him doing his fun dance stuff and then you're like oh this is why i like this guy yeah because he's mad i get it yeah i will say the only problem i have is that i think terrible lie and down in it the only reason i don't have more on it is not only because they're so good but they they do sound I couldn't I don't know if I would tell immediately them apart yeah they, they are really similar similar yeah. vibe I mean obviously with down in it you get the this is almost a rap song which that, is pretty great <laughs> is it <laughs> great in that like it doesn't make any sense I mean we even have a lot of the little hip-hop breaks kind of stuff um which is so good so cute <laughs> I think it's fantastic for well and it also has the rain rain go away refrain which <laughs> I am on the record in multiple places saying anytime you bring out some old nursery rhymes it, you're asking for some some shit and I'm going to give you that shit right because that's bad at least it was like synthesized and like put under the beat which was fine but oh no I hate it yeah I um this terrible eyes like it's a, you know about God I don't know like so many of this these industrial themes period are always about anti-religion stuff and I always read terrible eyes as a, as a breakup song uh personally just because no. I always think that you he's talking to is which a lot of it was, was about his ex-girlfriend or just, you know, like a you that you've been close to and you're mad because two references to God outright to God and Jesus on this record. Mm -hmm. And they're pointedly about religion and, or using the metaphors we all know as another metaphor for his own sort of being on the cross or whatever in a relationship context Mm -hmm. again. But if the you is always Jesus, then that's between you and fucking Jesus. I'm sorry. Like this is not about God. That's why these are all great because I listen to him and I'm like, I was up above it. And now I'm down in it. Like fucking simple. The, mm-hmm. These, the lyrics on this are not profound, but man, if you love that shit and you're in it, like there is so much diversity, uh, especially on these three songs. Well, I think even for a terrible lie, like the talking about the sampling, mm. um, that fucked up toy sound, that <laughs> sound, oh, yeah, I was like, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Like he's definitely trying to get some spooky shit into here. Uh, and then in down in it, it really, uh, gives you a sense of what's to come it it's a lot like there's a song on on the fragile called pilgrimage that sounds okay. like it's in a kind of a roman arena where it's like cool. ah, like people are screaming in the background there's a, pieces of that in here too Sweet. um so it's really neat to to 
you know, get like little glimpses of what's to come. And I also think that this is uh, in Down In It. It's a great example of how he uses synths to mimic drums without explicitly being drum beats. Now, there is a really beefy 808 in that song that's that's going off. Um, yeah. That's where that, that hip hop fucking bomb bomb kind yeah. of bass comes from. But then he's also oh, using awesome. this little syncopated uh, beats on the synthesizer to make it feel like a drum beat, drum but, beat. It's, but it never is. That um, happens a lot on this, which is yeah. really cool. And I, you gotta love Matt. Oh yeah. Nah, nah, nah. Well, <laughs> you don't have to love it. <laughs> well, layers. I haven't brought up layers. Darren has a great uh, Trent Reznor's way of of song building is pretty consistent throughout his career, and something I really enjoy about him. And another reason why I think he stands apart from electronic artists because they'll let the same beat go for seven minutes. Yeah. And it makes you want to kill yourself because like this is so boring. I've been hearing and he yeah. is a master at adding layers as the song goes on. So while that that one drum beat and down in it might be going throughout the whole thing, he adds these sneaky synth lines in there like that. Especially know. for someone like me who doesn't like this type of music. That You're right. The seven minute long. What am I listening to this for? <laughs> right. if, if not back complete background noise, because I can do that. That's fine. Sure. It doesn't offend me, but I don't want to listen to it and like try to intellectualize it or like feel something from it. You know, but I it's think not good. that he just intrinsically has this, I like this great sense of timing where he's like, not like he's sitting there. Okay, it's been thirty seconds. I need to change it up. But it's just like I feel like something needs to be added now. We need to change the theme of the song a little bit. And he's great. That's why he's a great that. pop musician. Yeah, because he knows when to change it. You yeah, can't get bored. and he has enough confidence in himself where he can feel like I'm not. I I didn't make one cool beat and I need to make a whole song out of it. He's like, I have enough confidence that I'm going to have another cool beat tomorrow. Right. Yeah. So I can take this beat and take it with the other one and try to mesh it all together because mm-hmm. I'm not worried that I'm going to run out of ideas. Whereas I do feel like that's probably the biggest fear of any musician is becoming irrelevant yeah, and having oh, yeah. no ideas left. And so it's cool to see this this man at, at it's the beginning of his of his career. And it just like starts off like this. Holy shit. Where can it go? I know. That's what's He's 23. Incredible. I know. What the hell? <laughs> it's true. It's incredible. Uh, and I also think that the way that the tracks bleed into one another. Oh, the sequence are fantastic. Absolutely. So this wonderful. goes right into to Sanctified. That, you cannot right? praise that enough. Yeah. And that was something I was not expecting. There's a really interesting sweet spot of like we went from the way that music was produced to where things were just singles. So it was important for you to be able to cut up music right. like it needed to be contained little two minute entity. Uh, and then we got into full LPs so we could do kind of concept Pet things. We remember we were talking about sure. pet sounds just a while right, ago, yeah. just offhandedly. Why is this such a big thing? And it really, it's because of that. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that, well, there are great songs on here, but what if they all were what combined together? Work together somehow. Yeah. Like a, into one like full a, album. Like an album. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he definitely had that oh, in yeah. mind when he's doing this. And it's only 10 songs, but it is almost 50 minutes long. But you don't feel like that. I Because he's like really great at, 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 at not making you bored. Um, and having really pointed out any of my favorite lines because they're all so obvious so far. I mean the, you know terrible line and pretty hate machine are pretty obvious but I like that he's his sad boy and down in it I used to have something inside now it's just a hole it's open wide <laughs> as I said not great lyrics at this point I mean, it might not ever get that great I also love that he tones it down. He brings he brings the speed on right down to a halt, completely to a halt with something I I can never have. But Sanctified, I would say that Sanctified really like we're on this high mm-hmm. where these three songs are so upbeat and crazy. 
And then we hit this this baseline, and it's like, yeah, that is a funky ass baseline. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, I don't know that sanctify sanctify is probably on the lower end of like if I'm putting these songs in order of my favorite to least favorite. Oh, this is not a good. I don't. Yeah, know but that baseline is like sticks in your head. Just, I thought this baseline was definitely something that '90s kids were like. I learned how to play Sanctified. <laughs> it's not particularly complicated, but it sounds no. fantastic. Well, this makes me think of a couple of weeks ago we listened to that Crow soundtrack, Dead Dead, Dead Souls, Souls, yeah, which is a cover which of is a Joy Division. Joy song, Division, yeah. which is all coming back around with the right. New Order and everything. Um, that had a cool ass baseline too. That was another like cool interpretation of that song. And man, when they they can get some beefy lines in there, that's really great. This one's really cool. I just like how it just kind of stops. Like these three just are like hyperspeed, and then it's just like. Ksh, with this really, the song's not great, but it's uh, it, that baseline's fantastic. And yeah, and I mean like the big careening guitar and the like the crunchy distorted little sound that comes in mm-hmm. and disrupts the whole thing. Like yeah. that's that's always a thing he's good at too, where you kind of feel comfortable. You're like, oh, this is the song it's going to be, and then he's like, Psh! yeah, and then he starts saying, and she asked you to come inside. I come inside her. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so that for her. that also. For her. F- come inside for her right and if she says give it all i'll give everything to her yeah, yeah you're right about uh, making you feel uncomfortable as you <laughs> listen, you know? yeah, exactly uh, can never be safe and it's just like i mean the course i'm justified i'm purified i'm sanctified inside you i mean uh-huh. this is all closer it's just like we're getting closer to closer and i think all of this um you know i, I don't know that song is great it, it's so much fun i don't want to like reduce anybody down to their one like the biggest song he's had plenty of hits but like yeah. It is fun to like sit in, especially for someone like me that doesn't know enough, but knows a little bit. Every time this guy starts singing lyrics that make me blush, I'm like, we're getting to it. Mm-hmm. And he's, I don't know, feeling more confident, which I don't know if that's good or a bad thing, but <laughs> we'll get to that when we listen to uh, Downward Spiral. Or yeah. Fragile? No, Spiral. For Dead Souls? For Closer. Oh, yeah, the Downward Spiral. Downward Spiral. Yeah, so my favorite song on this album is something I can never know. Come song. on, tell me you make this all go away. You make this all go away. I'm down to just one thing. And I'm starting to scare myself. so good just incredible and and definitely indicative of things to come i mean you don't get uh any of his film score work you don't get any of ghosts if Mm -hmm. you don't have this song first and i think that it has clear embodiments uh on on the fragile and downward spiral in in a warm place which is just an instrumental track which was one of my favorite songs on uh the fragile the frail on um sorry a warm place on uh downward spiral the frail on the fragile uh, and like I said, basically all of Ghosts. It's just those have always been the things that spoke to me about his music. Is when he really leans into that kind of ethereal, just melancholy. Like yeah. I'm fucking sad, but it never gets too dark. Like that 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 piano melody, the, the through of the song, is yeah. not a, a bleak thing. But he does this incredible sound towards the end. There's a synth that like, could just a washing like a quiet through the mm-hmm. whole thing. And then at the end, it just like morphs into this really anxiety inducing sound where it just turns more dark and dark. And then it gets to this point where you're like, Oh, this is a song is getting upsetting. And then it stops. 
And then it, the next song is just like really releases all the tension, <laughs> which is incredible. It is so good. And um, Tom Brahan for in that pitch report review yeah. again for the issue said this is the the as far as I'm concerned, it's probably the finest song John Rosen ever wrote. Um, lyrically, is it like super duper poetic or interesting? Maybe not, but I, it, I think it gets the point across. I think it's great. I think it's better than that it's because you can be clever and really have great lyrics in that for, for some people especially for me i love lyrics more than anything and even if you're not that great of a band uh if you got good lyrics you can tell a story mm-hmm. a minute this no there's nothing really here this is kind of again just put whatever you want on it so you gotta bring the emotion you gotta right. bring the music both of those things click here um this has forever altered my impression of re- like if i was listening to this i did listen to this for the first time but like if I this was the first time I ever heard this band, I would not be super impressed by what I had heard coming up to this point. I'd be like, this is fun. This is catchy. This is 80s. Cool. Then you get to this and it's like, wow. And this is a nugget that's like when all of this shit fades away and the moogs are all uh, they fall out of disrepair and this music is not big anymore. You've got this, yeah. this thing that will always exist. And it is beautiful. And it doesn't rely on any gimmicks or tricks. And I think this is so many bands have tried to replicate that. that, This is probably a replication too. I don't want to pretend like he invented this idea, but like this is like the crescendo point of the record. This is, I mean, almost like you're going down and hitting the bottom and then you work your way back out, but not in a bad way, in a good way. Well, even within the song, you get that really, the swelling sense and then that crash. Yeah. It's just, Which is so cool. It's Come such a on. great encapsulation of what that song is doing and what the album is doing. It's just like, I'm going to bring you to that point where you're just like uncomfortable, but also kind of comforted because it's like a warm, unpleasant feeling. It's just like, that's good. What a great dichotomy that he's able to evoke and, and not through lyrics. I mean, no. the lyrics are pretty beat you over I just the head want with something I could never have. I, I love that. I mean, I love that too. Everywhere I look, you're all I see. Just, just a, a fading, fading fucking, fucking reminder of who, who I, I used to be. be. That's like, what a great, that's great. That's a great line. And it flows really well in a kind of I want to it's just like there's no transition Another hip hop break, which is fantastic, and complete with scratch. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> like, my notes, and now we're back in the eighties. <laughs> uh, the guitar breakdown in the middle of this, uh, in the middle of that song, is great. The lyrics are not great. Uh, kinda, I want to. I know it's, it's not, not the, the right, right thing. thing, but I know it's not the, and I know it's not the good thing. But, but kinda, I want to. Kinda. <laughs> I want to. So when I first bought this CD, uh, I was somewhere in Boulder. And like I said, I'd already come to Nine Inch Nails and I was just kind of like going through the back catalog and I happened to be at a record store that had it. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to yeah. get Pretty A Machine, right? And I put it on and I was like, what is this? <laughs> kind of, I want to. What? Because <laughs> like at this point, he's my goth dark lord oh, sure. of pain and angst. And he's like, kind of, <laughs> I want to. I was like, I can't. Kind of, I, I want can't. to. Kind of, I want to. <laughs> exactly. And uh, it, it's, it is the most 80s the, feeling, the, like the, the most the weakest, dated, the I feel like. The weakest, the weakest. Um, but it's still fucking dancey, man. It's still catchy. But you know why this song is great? Because it's the lead into Sin, Which and Sin good, does yeah. exactly what he... Because the end of that song, 
I want to, I want to, I want to sin. Like yeah. it, fucking perfect. Kind of I want to is like this weird placeholder for like introducing the song. You know, I mean, how many songs are there mm-hmm. out there that are basically just a prelude to like, here's the meat of it all. Right. But I'm introducing a song here where I have conflicting feelings. And now I'm going to resolve it. And that's lovely because it's just like what we talked about with uh, uh, something I can never have. It's build tension, resolve. Well, kind of I want to is not a good song. It cannot resolve the tension, but sin does resolve the tension. And that's why I've come around to that, especially the sequencing. Like this whole record is so important to be played back to back because otherwise kind of I want to is shit like, <laughs> but it fits so well but it fits so well with sin mm-hmm. and sin is a great enough standalone song that like when we listened to it it was great and mm-hmm. it was one that you know that's why it was a single and kind of i want to would never be one right because it's a dumb song but it does really work with sin because it's i kind of and now i am i gave you my purity <laughs> yeah i think that uh sin's definitely in my my top three for the album i think this and terrible See, I, and something I can never have. I think sin's up there for me for sure. Sin's so good. I yeah. think it's like the sixth best. It's definitely the most house track. Like it's the most techno y hard house kind of track, which I'm is to notes. say uh dancey as dancey. <laughs> house dancey. I write new notes every week because I just forget. But an important thing that comes out of this song uh is that the kind of what will become the trademark of Trent Reznor is this the synth uh sweep scratch sound um it happens about three times throughout the song but that sound is going to end up it, when you hear that sound you know it's a trent Reznor joint is that happening at the end of the record or are those actual record scratches no on... this this it this is a synth sweep okay so it's it sounds not the... like a scratch but it's not like somebody scratching because i think someone's doing that at the very end yeah they might be but anyway yeah so that if, if you listen in sin it only happens a couple times i think it's right before the chorus is um there's this this particular like Wah, 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 noise that happens yeah. that he does throughout his whole career in one form or another. It's not going to sound exactly like that, but like that is such a hallmark of Trent Reznor. Cool. And like, if you hear a piece of music that has that in it, like he has, that's the, the mark of a great, uh, unique musician is when you can hear their shit, not their lyrics, not their voice, but you can hear and even like the feeling you get when you hear their music right. and you know exactly who it is. And like, that dude does yeah. it. And this the sound inside of Sin is, is definitely part of that. Well, this is his most played song. Oh, really? His most... Uh, um, like on Spotify? Uh, set... Well, what is it? Set list... Uh, .fm or whatever that collects oh. all the set lists yeah so he's played this live more gotcha. than any other song as well. Gotcha, okay. So this is definitely a forever song for Nine mm-hmm. Inch Nails and probably a defining song. I mean, it's it's really good and it's like the first like, I mean, band music video. It's like you start your career like that. I mean, the song itself is... Very edgy, edge lord, oh, yeah. edge oh, god. Yeah. I'm sorry, as, we, as he's known, the edge god. Uh, but it's also incredibly catchy. It's just so good, you know. Mm-hmm. It comes down to this, your that's and that shit is great. Your kiss, your fist, and the strain it gets under my skin, within taking the extent of my sin. Love me an internal rhyme. Yep. So that is just lovely. It's lovely to read and it's lovely to hear him sing. And this is the, this is the, the highlight for me lyrically of the whole record. Yeah. Um, Cause it's just, it's lo- just great to read. Well, we already covered since so if we you want to, if you want to hear more about 
the the full effects and they're talking about the video and all that stuff. You can go listen to episode. I was thirty seven. Thirty seven. I was going to ask you because you brought it up in our sin episode, and I didn't really. We, we, that was so jam packed because <laughs> we had to talk about that fucking music video. So, uh, but he, the pretty pretty hate machine tour series. Sure, yeah. You brought up him tackling the guy from Filter, right? And we watched the video of him tackling the guy from Filter, and I was like, "What the hell?" And we talked a lot about you know, and and this record ex- sort of exudes that too, which is a, a troubling aspect of some of this uh, is that just hyper aggression yeah, and, the violence, yeah. and I'm sure a lot of guys had that aggression or whatever that he was feeling, but not a lot of them had three years to like blow off steam yeah. traveling around the world. Yeah. Uh, just like quick overview. I'm like, Oh my God, this is a fucking tour tour. Like, yeah. So they basically right after the album was finished, yeah. um, he had to assemble a band. So it's Trent always envisioned this as a live band act, but he just couldn't find anybody to play with him. So he was like, fuck it. I'm going to do literally everything myself. And he did. Yeah. Uh, but then he's like, now I need to go on tour. Yeah, Shit. Back. I wasn't really ready for that. So he asked Chris Brennan to come who originally played keyboards a little bit for him, but then ended up being drums and would be the drummer for until 97. Like I said, but then he also got uh, Richard Patrick, Rick okay. Patrick of who would become the lead singer of uh, filter. filter to play guitar and he played guitar with the band um, from 89 to 93 and then um, came back on one of the tours for 96. But uh, yeah, (laughs) there's a video for a live video for down in it where he trainers or tackles the absolute living shit out of rich Patrick. And it's like so violent, but yeah, they they got definitely huge notoriety for putting on really violent shows. And he made a point when he was arranging the live music, because you got to think of it in a different way. Like, He's like, I didn't want to fucking go out there with just a tape deck playing, you know, like that doesn't, I need a live band. I want this to be a live band. That's yeah. the, and the reason it's not called the Trent Reznor band is because I don't want it to just be me. I mean, it's, he said it was kind of a way to hide, you know, so sure. that I don't have to just be the face of everything, but it's also, it, I needed it to be more visceral. Yeah. So he made a point to get musicians to play with him and the, uh, he made him way more aggressive. All the songs are always way more aggressive live because I think he really feeds off that energy. I think he is kind of that person, especially then being a 23 year old, but he was a really toxic guy to be around. Like I'm Sounds sure bad, he man. was violent and shitty and, and inconsiderate and just was out there for himself, but it's hard not to like the kid got a record deal immediately. Right. And like all this shit went to his head and then he's fighting with his label and he's trying to do all this stuff. But that first tour was actually like five tours in a row. So he opens for skinny pup. Um, who he'll I think Pig Face was him and, and maybe one of the guys from uh, Ministry Two. It was like a little side project from Wax Tracks. Yeah. Um, so they're all. I mean, he's very closely attached to Skinny Puppy, which they industrial godfathers from Canada. Well, as we've talked about. Uh, yes, <laughs> and they're uh, I don't even know how to say it. It's like Vivisection, but not Vivisection tour in '88. So they're doing that through '88, and then there's the Pretty Hate Machine tour that's properly um, like the promoting their record. But right. then they open for. Jesus and Mary Chain in 1990. Right. So from 1988, when the song drop or the album drops, are going Skinny Puppy straight into their own tour, straight into Jesus and Mary Chain. Literally the day after the Jesus and Mary Chain tour ends, I think it's like March 17th of 1990. March 18th, they're back on their road uh, for the Deep tour with the Bauhaus frontman Peter Murphy. Okay, right. So he does that for another thing, and then he does the Hate tour, which they're the headliners of. They bring along uh, Beat Meat Fed. Meet Beat Manifesto um, th- throughout 1990, and then they do the Sin Tour <laughs> in 91. The first Lollapalooza, they're right, on the tour yes, with them, yes, and yes. then they do a European tour with a couple of shows with Guns N' Roses, which are apparently pretty notorious. Whoa. Whoa. So it from 19 or sorry from eight, 1989 to 1991, they did a 208 shows. Oof. 
Just like, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's so much. Uh, no, any band out there, the Pups and Touche Amores of the world, will tell you that that's the most straining shit to do the 250 mm-hmm. plus shows in a year. Yeah. That's wild shit. That's what kills you. It's incredible, especially the the getting knocked out every night. Yeah, look, look how violent the shows were. Uh, I looked them up, but he played in Portland. January 28th, 1990, and May 29th, 1990, mm-hmm. uh, at the Pine Street Theater. I know, which is a new existence uh, anymore, right? And it went by La Luna for the most time at uh, oh, Southeast yeah. 9th and Pine. Yeah, I know. It's weird which to think too bad, because like La Luna a... was like the thing. That's where Slater Kinney played all yeah, the time. exactly. Back in the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the amount of bands that got their starts there or were, had those like classic shows in Portland was at that theater, which went by a ton of different names, including Pine Street, but La Luna was what it was for yeah. the most part. But still, even just the spot. It's cool. Little piece of Portland history. Anyways, yeah. twice in a year is wild. I mean, twice in five months. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's crazy. And to, to do such intense uh, shows, I mean, he he still does, I think, from time to time, or at least people that, tours, that he tours with, uh, will break their equipment and stuff. And just like they have these really cool rigs that their keyboards are on that like oh, I wonder are supposed that to move then, and swing. Um, I then mean, you don't really have the money. <laughs> that's what I mean. But like, they're still breaking their stuff, I think, pretty often. Guys, and come on. Like, we could go on about tear yeah, about we'll privilege to, and like all that like, kind of stuff. But let's, let's save that for a whole episode because I would love to like look at, watch some of those videos to see like what the setups were because mm-hmm. we've all seen the fucking, you know, mud and the for uh, Woodstock, Woodstock and stuff. And that rig is insane. Yeah, but, but like, they definitely had it. Had on, something all like stuff. that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is intense. But I want to know how it went from nothing to that. Like, how fast was that? Right. You know what I mean? Because so. you've got these are multi thousand dollar pieces of equipment that they're just, just fucking just, destroying. Just, I mean, that's fine. Anyways, uh, that's what I get. Track that's eight. That's what I get. Um, I think this is the song he's probably embarrassed about. There was a quote from him in '91 that says, "A lot of it sounds immature to me now." And again, this is only two years after the record came out. Yeah, that might. At be first, really. it totally sucked. I became completely withdrawn. I couldn't function function in society very well. And the LP became a product of that. It's quite small scale and introverted and claustrophobic. That's the that's the feel I went for. Okay. That's one of those. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it definitely does. There is a data quality to it. It's. I don't um, think. The, I think the music is almost to be expected. It's more just the, the words. Yeah. yeah. That's why I say when, and I think he's embarrassed by. That's what I get. I think it's more that the lyrics are not great. I'm slipping on the tears you made me cry. That is a great line of like, <laughs> cry. When you just taught me how to kiss you. You. That's what I mean. Like, I don't see Trent Reznor wanting to like do that song. You know what I mean? That's all. It's And it's really that, like him performing that. It's hard. It's hard to listen yeah. to, but but musically, even though um, oh, it's great, it it can sound a little dated. Those I I describe that as like a synth tube noise, okay. but yeah, steel drum is the same same kind of thing. Um, that that also will show up in his later work in the fragile, specifically in the song that okay. we take our our name for the podcast for hey. into the void. It's just like a a kind of variation on that same sound. So and then the, the door slams and all the layers like these are definitely trend resonant themes oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. will will continue on even if I guess I'm not the only boy for you doesn't uh, carry on. So I, I do like that he um, stays away from even when he's writing these what can be argued as definitely like breakup or or like yeah. you know sad boy songs he never says the words like baby oh, or like love it. you yeah. know you're my girl or like any sure. stuff. So him even saying I'm the only boy for you is like that's such an outlier and anomaly for him to even get that right. into it. So it's probably his only like the only weakness on here is that boys got hooks for days, but it doesn't necessarily mean like these songs are just like good right. or well written. But the fact that he was willing to go there is what made him stand out 
in in the genre. There oh, were people right. that were just like, right. no, we talk about exploding cars and like all this kind of stuff. Absolutely, and that's what was really cool about reading about that this week. It's just like I see so many parallels with with this and other artists where you're just like, it's really cool to know where that sort of that trope came from and all this stuff that that has since happened and now it's become a parody on itself that when you go back the beginning looks like a parody to to you now right. as well but it's not and so i i excuse it because the song is fucking great i kept thinking i don't like the steel drums and the whatever the hell's the tube music mm-hmm. i don't i don't like the tube but every, but i'm just so drawn to the tube this was a conflicting one for me yeah um but i i Love it. Even like I gotta gotta listen to your big time hard line bad luck fist fuck like <laughs> what? And I mean he uses that later like fist fucking with Wish or whatever a couple oh, yeah, weeks yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. I love that song. I mean that Wish is great. And Wish to me is like a direct because that's right after that's right after this record. Yeah, it's I mean, a broken. A couple, it's on at ninety. The broken EP, right? Mm-hmm. And that whew, now you're now we're talking like yeah. that's much more of my style more than this. Even though these songs are really good, I wouldn't say there's a lot of rock on here. The guitar is very sparing and it's no. well used, but like head head like a hole is definitely the rockest song. Yeah, well here. he wrote all of this stuff. Um, I mean, obviously he did all the parts himself, but he wrote it mostly on piano. Yeah. And I think Downward Spiral, he used a guitar for most of the, the okay, songwriting. Okay, so that's so why. You can really, and even in Broken, too, I think. Because I associate him more with the guitar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely know the industrial elements, but I never, I didn't know that that was like the, st- in a way, the starting point. It was, that was what built all of this. It wasn't like something added in, because I think with a lot of bands that I listened to in the 2000s or whatever, that I would just hear in passing, that was like the style. They were definitely a rock band. Right. But but having the little electronic flourishes were, was the cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know that was because of this, you know. Oh, this yeah. is so yeah, influential of a, of a, not not maybe this thing. And that, that's why Downward Spiral, I'm sure, and Fragile are, well, Fragile's a later, but like Downward Spiral, I'm sure, is huge because of that. It's much more rock. Right. And it's also got the synth element. Whereas here, there's not a lot of rock. No. This like, is... And I'm sure like pure, like people who love that might not really like this, but I fucking love this is so like a hard, angsty dance pop. And I don't wanna think too much about what we should or shouldn't do. Lay my hands on heaven and the sun and the moon and the stars while the devil wants to fuck me in the back of his car. Nothing quite like the feel something. We already talked about angry, angry record a couple weeks ago. So yeah. we will get that at some point. Uh, so the only time we got the big bass again, definitely. Yeah, coming great in. bass line. And that walking bass sound, it could easily be any synth pop song. Janet like the, Jackson. Straight up. But he, save for like that one moment where he breaks the, the, the scale and changes it to like a minor note change up real quick. Mm-hmm. And that's another signature of his tour. It's like we're doing a safe thing. Coming back to that same theme of like, burp, and, burp, fuck, and fuck it all up where you think that you're in this comfortable place, but you don't actually know what's yeah, next. That's a good um, and we get uh, a proto uh, closer in this too, that the synth line is very similar to the one that we'll like, hear in, in closer. Oh, okay. um, so, and it ends with the whole head, like a whole scream. Wah-oh. Same thing. We got, got a nice little <laughs> beginning and end kind of thing. I know there's one more track, but this is yeah. definitely, this is definitely the closest to closer for me like like i don't i don't want to think too much about what we should or shouldn't do uh this is the only time i've ever really felt alive oh lyrically like, yeah lyrically, i mean it's definitely oh, well, about anal sex 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. i mean like, there's a way that's about anything else right See, I, I, <laughs> oh no oh no 
No, I never thought that once. Oh, yeah. Well, I did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no. I was like, for a second, I was like, why do I like this song? And then, obviously, the reason I love this song. Lay my hands on heaven and the sun and the moon and the stars while the devil wants to fuck me in the back of his car. That's right. <laughs> my, that's my favorite line not only because it is funny it's funny it's great great line uh, I love overstuffed lyrics are, are also great that was a lot to take in yeah. and great timing cut the music off where you're just like Boing. what nothing oh, okay. yeah. yes. so he knew he had a banger of a line it was like I need to emphasize that we're stopping the music and I thought that was lovely. Yeah, I definitely think this song is either about getting pegged or having sex with a, a man. Like, well, from Sin video, yeah. Yeah, tell where you. he's definitely bottoming in this song. Uh, My Moral Standing is Lying Down is also a great uh, yeah. Oh, line. yeah, that's a good one, yeah. But yeah, just like him being like, the devil wants to fuck me in the back of his car, and then being like, nothing quite feels, or nothing quite like the feel yeah. of something new. I'm like, yeah, that's definitely, that's about anal sex. Yeah. And you having feelings about what that means. So then it's like, it's like... You're about to get penetrated at the end, and then all those high keys boom, boom, are boom, like, boom, what? Because that end is fabulous. I love when whatever that note is, it just keeps getting higher and higher to like yeah, that, infinity. Which is a really 80s sound too. That yeah. Oh yeah. No, this Janet Jackson vibes mm-hmm. all around. For sure. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. And then into Ring Finger, which is another conflicted one for me where I'm like, I love the way that this ends the record, but I don't know how I really feel about the song. Oh, uh, just real quick about the only yeah, yeah, time. Sorry. Rich Patrick specifically points out the only time and the line, I'm drunk. And right now I'm so in love with you as yeah, like yeah. <laughs> uh, the cheesy and too soft for his taste. So the front man of filter who will later go on to pen. If you want to take my picture, it's like, this is some soft bullshit. Trent, you need to grow some balls. <laughs> so oh my God. Uh, just uh, thanks Rich Patrick. Too, for your fucking input. <laughs> too good. Also, no one fucking asked you. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, I just brought you here because I can't play guitar and the piano and the drums at the same time. That's if I the only could, reason you're here. you wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> and I need someone to violently attack on stage. Oh, true. I mean, he should know that at this point. Be like, that's really all I was to him. And it probably was. <laughs> Apparently, he was pretty broken up about him leaving the band, actually. Oh, he, wow. His pet name was Piggy. He was Piggy. Trent was a thing with pigs. Part of it's the Tate House stuff. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Ring Finger. Ring Finger. Also low for me. Not, yeah. not really a... I don't know. The, it's pretty... Dancy, repetitive kick drum beat, you know, just like balancing 16th notes, which is a hallmark of industrial and, and just this record as a whole, too. Yeah. Um, and we get like an Unsolved Mysteries kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I love Unsolved Mysteries. With Benny gets really far away, distant guitar sounds. Uh, in and the then Robert, and stuff. Robert Shack on the Bleeding for the Sins on the Cross. There, there's like a little bit of a guitar solo, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah. But I never want us to forget the day that Trent Reznor did what can only be described as Steven Tyler-esque. <laughs> ah, what was that? That was incredible. I love Ma- Mazzy Star, but like this, it feels so weird and bad in the song when it goes in a little chorus part. So I don't know if it's him layering okay. over or if it's somebody else coming in, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. This was the, not only the Jesus thing, which was fine, but like 
I, I love me some Jesus imagery. I'm fine with that. But like, I'm just dying for your sins and aiding to the cause. No, not great. Bird Box. We talked about Bird Box. Bird Box. Right, when we listened to that, when it came out. Uh, obviously, this was a 30-year foreshadowing of Bird Box, uh, Bird Box Wrap My Eyes in Bandages. Um, <laughs> so he knew he was going to do Bird Box one day. Uh, and then I saw on, I was just looking up online, Twist is like the original song on the right, demo. That was on and the I had the alternate family. lyrics, I'm so tired I can't sleep and squeaking of the bed is right in time with the song that's repeating in my head. I just want you to know when I do it, I only think of you. That's a better line than anything in this dumb yeah. song. Uh, so that was a bummer to lose that for, especially the Jesus one, which was really weak and just like edge God. Yeah, but like, what if, if I was twice the man I could be, I'd still be half of what you need. Yeah, that you see like <laughs> we, you think because of the phrasing that it's good but that's edge god yeah it's true i mean that's edge god level yeah, stuff my hands are... yeah it's not good yeah <laughs> a common edge lord would use that and <laughs> think that it's uh and think that it's good but when the edge god says it you have to think for a moment is this, is this truly edgy and you know i'm gonna say no yeah i would say he took that from an edge lord and the, the the edgelord in this case definitely being the guitarist from Filter. <laughs> yeah, sure. That guy is forever an edgelord. Apparently. He will never be an edge god. He will not. And at the end of this song, I do think there's a record scratch mm-hmm. at the yeah. end. And that is the moment that Fred Durst was born. He heard that and he was like, I've got a great idea for a band. And that, my friends, is the true legacy of this record. Limp Biscuit. I mean, outside from like hip hop, obviously, sure. but if we're taking it in the context of rock music, I think that really did come from industrial, not even just this period, but like even all the way back in the day with Robin Gristle, who are ostensibly the creators of, of the genre. Yeah. Um, which makes me so sad because like women are always removed from sure. rock history and everything. And these movements always turn into these violent, fucking toxic, masculine bullshit fests. That's what this is, yeah. <laughs> but Robin Gristle, who's front woman, uh, what's her name? Genesis Peorage. Um, who fucking started the movement. I think even then they were experimenting with those kind of sounds because it was all about machinery and different noises and stuff. So I think that's where it comes from more so than like... Well, then it makes even more sense. Is the DJ doing anything? That's what I don't understand. And I, that's that's an ignorance on my part. But so when I heard that, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. DJ Lethal. That's who was in the biscuit. I was like, who is it? So DJ Lethal obviously loved this show. <laughs> DJ Lethal. Bring it on. <laughs> oh, shit. DJ Lethal. Bring it on. Okay, so uh, that was the last track from the OG 1989 release, but uh, this was reissued in 2010, and we put on a B-side from the Sin uh, single, actually, that came out. Yeah, so Get Down, Make Love, which is a Queen cover off of their their scary album. Daniel, what's your relationship with that album? My parents had the album, and it always was the first thing that they put out, and that guy is fucking scary. He's a robot monster. He's killing a car with people. They're all dying. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, News of the World. I News think of the it was World. 77. Yeah. Um, this, this song was released uh, all the way back in 1990. So October 10th, 1990 is when the Sin single came out. It had uh, three versions of 
Sin and then also get down and make love this so cover. Which he also did that thing. Three versions of a song. Okay. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. Head Like a Hole. I think it's 10. 10 versions of Head Like a Hole for this single. That's Halo 3. Uh, oh good. my God. At least people have been doing this for 30 years because I fucking hate that shit and I don't <laughs> understand it. I'm like, I don't want to, I only want to hear the original. Right. That's just me. Yeah. So, uh, the reissue came with with Get Down, Make Love. It is a song that they play a lot live, uh, especially in, in the past. I mean, it's a fun cover. It it really this is a very new metal sound. Like this is this is the most. It's in a it's in nineteen oh my gosh it's in nineteen ninety so it's yeah. not something we'll hear for another six or seven years. But like this could be. I mean, especially the big synth don don like that is absolutely yeah. Rob Zombie. That is cold. I mean, Rob Zombie also was doing this way back in the day too. But sure. like that is you could cut and paste this to any band. It's yeah. not a Trent Reznor. It song. does sound like that. It sounds like a different band is playing mm-hmm. than what we just heard. And it definitely is like a preview of what's to come. Oh, and right down to the fucking porn samples. That is such a Rob Zombie, like, tropey thing to do. Yeah. Like, Except for the intro was some movie or whatever. Yeah, it's a, which, a movie from 1962 called The Cabinet of Caligari, which is fucking scary and messed up. Uh, everything that was being said, I found that to be, if it, if this was part of the record, the song itself is fine. I think it's just generic. It's like, whatever. But that sample really speaks to the themes on this record like oh, i yeah. think that a lot of the stuff it was saying about like because it's like interrogation and like of interrogation a of a, exactly yeah. all of that stuff was like perfect for even the, the you know the weird songs on this record but i think it that shit was really good well done but out of context that's fucking weird yeah so uh, it's fine it's whatever and the queen version is like literally the same I, oh I, yeah the queen it, version's better for for i think so too yeah. for what it it's a pretty faithful cover. It I mean, is a it, it's cover. definitely new metalized, but it's it's pretty much the if same. You want some meat? I'll feed you. What a weird fucking line! It's right? a terrible song. I mean, it's just it's an upsetting song. It's an upsetting song. <laughs> it's just like ah oh man, innuendo when they're not fun. This is a not fun innuendo song. Yeah. It's like you want some meat? Let me give you my meat. Like cool. Thanks meat. for that. Uh, so just a note about the reissue real quick. So the cover photo, everybody knows they like the bright pink and, yeah. and blue. It apparently was a picture, cool. uh, to quote Trent Reznor, the cover of a pretty gay machine is a photo of the blades of some sort of turbine stretched vertically so they look like the bones of a rib cage. And that's always what I thought. I actually always thought it was an old microphone. Uh, so do I. Right? Like it kind of looks like one of those old school microphones from the 60s, those big metal ones that are kind of rounded, but they look like rectangles for uh-huh. the most part. Uh, but yeah, it was a, apparently a piece of industrial machinery. And uh, it was put together by the band's former art director and uh, sometime keyboard mimist, Gary Talpas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right? I always thought it was a microphone. Me I, too. My whole life. Uh, but yeah, so Gary Talpas, just a note on him real quick. He was also part of the Pretty Hate Machine tour series. However, he didn't know how to play the keyboard, but Trent wanted a body on the stage. So he would just kind of stand, but pretend he was playing, but they would play the loop of whatever the actual track of the yes. song was. <laughs> so, really vanilla style. Yeah, so art director slash keyboard mimer, Gary Talpas, is the one who gave us that uh, cover, as well as Downward Spiral. So he was the art director until 1997. And then when the reissue came out, Robert Sheridan, who was the art director at the time of the band, Gary's original photo was gone, so he had to rebuild the whole oh, thing. Cool. Like he's like, my first idea was to like scan it and then maybe colorize it in a different way. Because Trent's only request was like, let's lose the pink. I was like, come on, man. And and it was funny because Rob Sheridan apparently was like, this was so seminal for me. This album means yeah. so much to me. And Trent Reznor gave no shits about it. Like I was definitely more cutesy and like withholding. Sure. He's like, I don't want to, I don't want to mess with it. And he's like, dude, I don't care. Do yeah. whatever you want to do. 
So he had to rebuild the whole thing. He redrew the whole cover basically wow. digitally to enhance it and change the colors a little bit. And obviously, they changed the orientation because in the jewel it case for the CD, yeah. that's why it's sideways. On the vinyl, it's not. The image is actually stretched oh. vertically because they had the space. But yeah, on the CD case, it was always sideways. Like that always bugged me, so I needed to put it in a different way. So I just thought it was kind of neat. Um, the reissue was done by Bicycle. My oh my god, Bicycle Music Group in uh, 2010. Trent said that. Uh, Tom Baker managed to locate the original mixes or sorry Bicycle managed to locate the original mixes that went in the studio with Tom Baker and remastered it for a greatly improved sonic experience now I'm not the biggest audiophile in the world but I noticed almost zero fucking difference between the original Pretty Hay Machine from 1989 and the reissued version from 2010 it did not have different euphony yes Right? Yeah, everything. He didn't change it too much, which makes sense, I guess. And I'm sure, again, to somebody like him who has such an ear for shit, I'm sure yeah. it sounds completely, like, mix-wise, just like um, the, the levels of things. This is for the 20th anniversary or something? No, it was just 2010. Because of all the rights stuff. So TBT had the rights forever, and then oh, it was like right, a whole right. thing. So when Bicycle got it, they like... Well, some of the samples they said couldn't aren't on here because they couldn't clear them. So. Yeah, there was a... In one of the songs, I don't yeah. remember, Sanctified, I think there was like a movie clip in there. Yeah. So, and that's that's another thing of why Trent did something so outside the genre of the time. He didn't rely on so many samples. Like, there are oh, samples, yeah, yeah, yeah. but oh my God, so much industrial, especially from Skinny Puppy and Ministry, is just like fucking long-winded things they took from movies and right. stuff over grinding repetitive noises. And it's... <laughs> It's just not for me, man. I could never. I never got into Skinny Puppy. Like no. that was so of my mode and in my purview. But I just couldn't ever do it. It just wasn't for me. Well, good. This is a part of the podcast industry. where we say we're never gonna listen to Skinny Puppy. So <laughs> it's, it always is. makes That's me right. nervous when we start talking about it. So. <laughs> never listen to Skinny Puppy. No. Just go watch the movie. Just yeah. go watch the movie. Go watch the movie. Like go watch a documentary about it. Yeah. No, no. Go watch whatever movie is in that gr- it's grinding gears of oh, a song. Sure. Right, yeah, the, Find the, the movie right, and go yeah. watch the movie. Yeah, for sure. its place with the screen's most distinguished classics that dares explore uncharted realms of exciting wizardry that will ignite a storm of controversy with its strength and candor how old were you when you first let a man make love to you next who was he next how did you feel at the time next how did you feel afterward what did you feel what did you think were you pleased frightened ecstatic disgusted what did he say what words did you speak that's what i want to know now tell me now now all of it i think that uh chuck palaniak did a good job uh, in 2003 for he was writing for blender and he reviewed the album i don't know why 2003 wasn't any particular significance for this album but uh he said it said it seemed like the first honest piece of music i ever heard and I try to put myself back in that time. So I'm curious, do you think that Pretty Hate Machine works today? I mean, if we're trying to talk about this in a contemporary oh, scope, 30 years it's later. Yeah. 30 years later. Uh, obviously, we can argue that some of the sounds are uh, dated. Yeah. And it's interesting that he's still using, not using the same equipment, but versions, newer versions of the same equipment. And yeah. it's like technology forced his hand in changing sounds in some of this, That's which is always point. really interesting for electronic artists because it's like whether or not you want to, that if you're getting the newest equipment and you're pushing yourself, and he would anyway, yeah. you're going to sound different. Uh, so so trying to excuse maybe the dated synth sounds or maybe not even like can can you enjoy this today? Oh, yeah, I mean, I think for anybody like me who doesn't really care or know that much about Nine Inch Nails, this, shit, this shit's banging. This shit's so good. Does it still work? Absolutely. Um, it works not only as like a, as a museum piece, but I think it I think it's still fucking it's so good. It's just a great example of 
perfect sequencing and the importance of an album. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think a lot of people really care about that. Even the artists that you might think that you love, you love their individual songs. You go to listen to their albums and it's not tracked. It's not sequenced. Like there's no continuity between it. And I have to say, you might think it's common, but it's actually not. Even the bleed over of songs and shit, that's not as common as you think. Yeah, a lot so, of groups or, or even producers, engineers don't really think about. Don't think about it. Don't want to do it. It's such. It's. I mean, the single doesn't exist in the same way it did back then. But like, it's still a thing, you know. In a lot of, in, in a way, it's almost pervertedly different. Where Spotify, it's all about getting onto a certain playlist or whatever right. to get all of the single views. Like nobody cares what the how this song that they're listening fifty million times is going to bleed into the next. Right. The idea is to hook them That's and we, just have them fed the whole thing. We went all full circle. Full circle. music used, used to be made only singles back down to people are only going to listen to one or two tracks. So you got to make it a gotta, little you gotta encapsulated make it the thing. Single. Right, yeah. exactly. Whereas even with like small EPs, there's a lot of bands out there now doing the, that small EP thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we recently like Vampire Weekend, Pup has a new album coming out soon. They, they've been doing cool things where they're not putting out the one song. They're, they realize the marketplace. Like no one's going out to buy this physically. So we're going to try to maybe do two songs that kind of speak to one another. So we're doing, instead of a whole big long album of talking to one one another, we might have just a song or two that kind of bleed into each other. Well, even Trent's doing that with these last All three these EPs. EPs. I mean, we listened to Bad Witch when it came out. Right. And, oh, and I've heard Ad, Ad Violence. So. Right. Ad Violence was before that. And then Not the Actual Events was before that in 2016. And they're it. supposed yeah. to be uh, interconnected loosely. But so like, it's interesting to think about it, not only in the concept of the scope of the, the EP, which right. I think all of his EPs even now, are, they, they really rely on each other. Um, whereas with Teeth and stuff like that was made for singles in mind. Like it, it's interesting for... Uh, a composer and an artist like Trent Reznor to kind of eschew that in the early 2000s, which is why I don't love that period of his work so right. much. Um, but to, then to go with three EPs and interconnect those two. So not only you're doing a, a, a complete piece in each EP, but then you're trying to keep thematically the same too. That's a kind of interesting concept. That's so. super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pushing the boundaries. And like, this is cool because it's using old, old, old sounds, especially after a very tired decade of the 1980s and, and producing something like this. If this is the best, if this is what came out of the 1980s, the fucking death of the eighties in, in October of 1989, fuck yeah. Yeah. Then I'm all for it because that, this is better than so much of the shit that was produced under the same auspices, the same sounds. Yeah. It's great. It's incredible. Like the eighties are a weird decade. Because there was a lot of stuff hidden in there that people you can't really that wouldn't find because what was popular was not. Oh, I'm dreading it. I have <laughs> lists of the 200, you know, best 80s, and I'm scared to go down it because I just think I have to accept it. But you know what? This record has helped me come to grips a little bit with my acceptance of this. Hope. There's some hope for sure, and it comes down to the songwriting. It comes down to your individual flair and style. Yeah. And he just was bringing something very different that had not been seen with this. So I'm hoping that there were some highlights in the 80s that I can also look to and say, you know what, this is good, and kind of see where he might be coming from too because he's not existing in a bubble by any means. So he is drawing from electronica and He's drawing from ministry and, you know, all these bands that had been doing this and bands he was listening to. So it's just cool. I can't wait to, like, get this all linked up a little more. Yeah. But I think he leaves this very fast. So it's not going to be relevant, I think, for the rest of this podcast. Uh, but it will be cool for me to, well, kinda, to sp- know that this is the end of the 80s. Yeah. And everything I'm listening to, the garbage I got to get through, it'll be cool to know, like, I will get to this record because it's on the list. Mm-hmm. And it'll be great to, like, revisit this again. Uh, wherever it lands, I don't. Yeah, there's uh, unique music themes that I've pointed out. Will definitely reappear, but this yep. that's particular. This is fucking the no. '80s sound won't really show up again. Yeah, which is probably not for the best. But I think that 
at once the, the, the silliness of some of the lyrics are also the reason why it works today. Yeah. And maybe not the lyrics, what they're saying, um, not the lyrics on the face of them, like what the words actually are, but the feelings that he's managed to evoke with the music and the lyrics are totally. a sentiment that's that's outside of time because it's like I'm fucking sad <laughs> and that yeah. works 30 years ago it works today it'll work 30 years from now so I think that gives it a staying power too and the thing at the end of the day is when a song is a good song it's gonna stay a good song yeah. and these are 10 these are seven good <laughs> songs but for some records you know when you have the that's one song get. it's a lot 70% great on <laughs> We did it. We did it. 30 years old. Thanks a lot, Trent Reznor. It's what cool a to have the anchor at the beginning now. We've done so much later stuff. Just, you know, there's so many songs and picking them at random. It's weird and Ghost is weird and all these things are weird. So it's cool to know I've got a little bit of a foundation. We are a real podcast in case you're interested. You can find us everywhere on the internet at SOTWpod.com. Uh, SOTW on Twitter, Tumblr. Uh, if you have a hard time remembering that, remember it's Starfuckers of the World. Starfuckers of the World Pod. I know that's the name of our podcast, but you know, it's void was taken. So. <laughs> <laughs> Starfuckers of the World, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. Um, you can, we even have a Patreon if you want to give us a dollar. SOTW Pod. Pod. Well, patreon.com slash SOTW Pod. Starfuckers yeah. of the World. Burn it into your If brain. you love Nine Inch Nails, this is a Nine Inch Nails podcast. That's fucking right. Give us a dollar. Give us a dollar <laughs> for all of your Nine Inch Nails needs but daniel we were also people in the world not only do we listen to the pretty hate machine on repeat uh but we also had some other things in our lives that we were consuming media wise can you tell me what else you were doing this week we'll keep it quick because we're going real long here but as a band that i've championed before on this very podcast this very nine inch nails podcast uh zeal and ardor uh you know they released devil is fine two years ago stranger fruit last year they just released a live album live in london the electric ballroom in Camden, London in December of 2017. I'm a sucker for live albums that are full live. No fucking oh, the thrills. Whole show. Yeah. The whole show nice. in it. And it's like 23 songs. It's like an hour and a half. Absolutely incredible. Didn't realize I had that many songs, four new songs on here. And it is probably the best quality for a live show. Live show I've ever heard. Nice. And if you haven't heard Zealand Arter, it's impossible for me to like, explain them to you but it's a little bit of uh, soul a little bit of melodic death metal a little bit of delta blues and gospel a little bit of uh negro spirituals and when they do those things the chains clinking and he's got the full band now with him it was just him on the first record but now he's hired a full band same way mm-hmm. as uh because he made this whole first album himself and I'll then he hired the band all out Trent Reznor. but yeah they got this crazy clinking and the chains dragging oh, i can wow. only imagine how cool that is to see live uh, so anyways, I highly recommend doing that. Something I did just learn about them at their shows, the lead singer, um, Manuel Gano, he said that he would give free merch to anybody who got branded with the Zeal and Ardor uh, logo. That's intense. Branded, like an actual branding, sure. a hot iron. On stage? 
Uh, no, at the merch booth. Although, oh, the merch booth. although they had to take it outside because like the these like the venues are going to be mad when yeah. they find out. So they did this, and he branded them. Eight people did it for free merch. He said, talking to the Guardian, he said, "quote The intent was that no one would ever do it because that's the whole thing. You don't want this brand." If you do, you're just an idiot who is following, not thinking for themselves. If they want to underline my statement, that's fine with me. But eight people is enough. If they don't get the symbolism, let's not encourage them. Yeesh. So that's a fun, weird experiment to play on your fans, but also really underlines, uh, I, I think, what the concept of this band is. I feel like this band could go away at any moment. I feel like it's almost just like an art piece. confident enough to do it they just passed through here last week oh, no at the roseland i saw it on there but i think it was sold out because uh, they were touring with death heaven and baroness wow and zeal and ardor oh, that would have been one of the best shows in the world i've seen death heaven twice but never baroness that would have been awesome so hopefully a new baroness is coming out soon but anyways zeal and ardor live in london uh, if you haven't listened to the other two i recommend just going through the the hole on this it's so good yeah wow uh I would recommend, based on our deep dive into the past of industrial, that you check out Throbbing Gristle. Um, Twenty jazz, Throbbing yeah. So, so Throbbing Gristle, like I said, is, is definitely like the pioneers okay. of industrial music, where it was really more about sounds and uh, like spoken word pieces. Oh. Uh, I'd like to quote Throbbing Gristle's <laughs> what. You love spoken word. Oh yeah, I do like spoken word. You just word. did spoken word two episodes ago on Wish. I did. Yeah, you're right. That was an interesting moment to do spoken word poetry on the song. This Nine Inch Nails podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Throbbing Gristle was a, the first industrial band back in the 1970s. In fact, um, Monty uh, Kazaza, who is like a collaborator of theirs, he was a, the, the guy to term industrial music it's industrial music for industrial people um he was part of their kind of collective but uh, genesis bjorich the lead singer lead talker of the bands uh her her quote on industrial music punks say learn three chords and start a band we say why learn chords at all learning chords is surrendering to the status quo <laughs> and i think that is a perfect uh encapsulation of what you can expect from throbbing gristle um the album that i would recommend is uh, 20 jazz funk greats and they have nothing to do with jazz funk i mean they do so it's 1979 i think you can argue that industrial i mean a lot of the genres it pulls from yeah they were doing this way way back it's weird there's this british outfit that's just doing weird shit and it's really cool and some of it's not very musical but some of it is and and the idea of industrial was really pulling from uh, musica concreta and just like uh just literal factory noises and just 
I don't know. They did something so different. You could you could say that industrial part of it was challenging people. You weren't supposed to like it, which sure. is why people hated Trent Reznor. Right, right. Because you're making this accessible to people. And it's almost an elitist notion of like, sure. no, we're smarter than you. We're more intellectual. We deserve this. And the layman plebe that likes dance music should not be allowed to enjoy this. This is supposed to be challenging, which right. was a lot of jazz, especially oh, like yeah. acid jazz and jazz fusion and stuff well, like punk that. Punk has the same people doing that shit too. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Like the more upsetting and, and inaccessible it is, the more punk you are, the more... That's jazzy you are yeah. you know what i mean so yeah yeah so i think that's why the whole play on 2020 jazz funk greats I mean, by you know throbbing gristle it, it's really cool some of it i think is really unique and worth a listen okay. so if you want to take uh since we're doing 30 years for pre-hate machine let's, yeah. let's go back even further let's 40 years for throbbing <laughs> gristle yeah exactly and uh, i like to i like that you just spun me on a yarn there because there's no one alive named monte kaza kaza Monte Cazaza. M O N T E Cazaza. Monte Cazaza. Yeah, so he was one of those like shocker punk. Was, was it the Germs? The guy that would cut himself oh, all open? Crash, yeah. yeah, so this guy was doing that before that. He one time did a little art installation because he was a musician too. Yeah. He's just like a general f- weirdo art person that did music but also did installations and did live performances where he would cut the shit out of himself and. He one time took a cement fountain into a venue and destroyed an entire staircase at yeah. a music hall. Anyways, I, Throbbing so Gristle. Listen to Ze- Zealand Arter, Throbbing Gristle, you know, just to... Just, just to balance the two of them out. Yeah, yeah. that'd be nice. Let's take a look at music 50 years ago versus, versus today. today. Yeah. Why not? Two cool uh, project ideas. I mean, Nine Inch Nail is nothing more than an idea. It's just an idea of, uh, you know, creating a... Sort of a collective thing, but it's really from the brain of one person. But mm-hmm. it's cool because you can do a bunch of different things. And I think there's liberation in that. So you can just do whatever you want. You're not sort of tied to anybody else. And yeah, I think that's kind of cool. So I agree. Yes. This is the end. This is where we pick next week's song. Oh, God. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready to pick wrong. How many more songs we got? We got one out of 174 left. So Man, we're going to go to random.org. There is light. There is light at the end of that title. I mean, it's true. Could it's, you imagine doing like... 500 songs no i think i would just want to die yeah i think so too so one out of 174 daniel what do you think 17 17 so in an alternate reality where daniel could be right ah. we would be doing last off of broken 1992's broken so oh damn we would get into it the, just Does like that, you want to hear a rocker i mean the, the all of broken pretty much there's a couple of instrumental songs but it's a lot it's a lot harder of a song uh, but no, we will not be doing that because Daniel doesn't get his way. We will be doing instead. Oh, oh, number oh, thirty-seven okay. off of an album that I happen to love. This possibly the is my fragile? favorite. What? How do you know that? It's always <laughs> about the fragile. And like I said, I'm not sure I'm going to do this, but I'm sure I'm going to do this in six months' time. Six months, okay. To celebrate. The Fragile's 20th anniversary because oh. that came out in September of, of 99. We might be doing The Fragile then. Nice. But I'm going to try to keep you on the hook because. But if we miss it, then we'll just have to do the 30th anniversary. <laughs> yeah. 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Now. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should wait another. But see, I think we don't have enough songs left to keep it going that long. Maybe we can go. We'll go to bi weekly. We'll go to. <laughs> well, he'll keep releasing songs. We can just break it down. I'm sure he's still going to be a, he's an artist that's going to keep making stuff. I hope so. so. I really hope so. I'm sure, like, it'd be great if he's around. Yeah, so I see this podcast lasting for more than 170 songs. Okay. Well, in case we don't do it at all, at least we'll get a taste. Next week, we're going to be doing We're In This Together off of 1999's The Fragile. Possibly one of my, my favorite songs. I want to oh. say it's my favorite, Whoa. but it's definitely up there. What is your there. favorite song? See, that's so hard. Yeah, I know. I mean, something I can never have is really up there, yeah. which is like incredible to think 
that he that was one of his first. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I love A Warm Place, which is such a weird song to pick because it's an, another instrumental. I, that's what I love about him. Oh, I so really yeah, love yeah. the moody, atmospheric stuff. And Is this that is, or is this a rock? This is not. This is a, I think this might even have been a single because yeah. I'm basic. <laughs> At the end of the day, <laughs> I'm basic as shit. I do like the deep cuts, but give me this. But I do love a, I love it's a love closer song. closer in a top 20. No, see, okay, that's the so problem. I'm even, just curious. I had like asked. a whole, I had such a hard time listening to because I've heard it so many yeah. times that you really, get divorced from it like you yeah. can't hear it anymore true i feel that way about closer um sure so it, it's it's hard for me to get into but uh wearing this together i think is a love song trent reser is like i don't oh. know why people that this is a love song this is a desperate situation oh. i read it completely differently as an optimistic thing and it's totally apparently a very pessimistic the, view the very of a relationship two of the same things but i think that's what he does best yeah. i think he makes you sad and content at the same time that's his melancholy dude, my melancholy guy. Yeah, just hanging out, being melancholy. He's the yeah, fragile. So he, is, he is. We'll keep him. All right. Safe. So we'll see you next week ish, maybe. I don't know. We'll or see. we'll see you in 10 years for the fragile 30th anniversary. Something. We'll see you sometime. All right. Until then, SOGW Pod everywhere. Thank you so much for listening to Into the Void. Daniel, say goodbye. Good night, Monty Kazaza. Good night, Monty Kazaza. <laughs> <laughs> She's still alive. <laughs> There's no way.